Well, welcome to Compassion, everybody. Man, we're so glad to have you join us for worship today. Man, I hope this service has been a blessing to you so far because I'm really excited about what's coming up next. You know, last week we had our first online Easter celebration and friends, it was the biggest Easter celebration we've ever had. Man, we had 39 services in two languages between Wednesday and Sunday last week. We had people from all 50 states watching the service. We had people from 29 different countries watching the service, participating in our celebration of Jesus' historic resurrection from the dead. And friends, if you're back this week, man, we love you and we just want to welcome you home. So glad you're here, man. We've been praying for you. Uh, we hope you'll just make yourself at home here at Compassion. And man, you know, connect with us in every way you can. And you know, you can log into the chat right now as you're watching this message and that would be a great first step for you. Uh, by the way, if you want somebody to pray for you, man, you can request that on the chat and somebody will pray with you real time right now. Uh, I just want to remind you again that next Monday we're finishing up our 21 days of prayer. We got a virtual prayer meeting across all of our campuses, across all of the world actually. Uh, man, we hope you'll log in and be a part of that prayer service next Monday night. And then we have an online prayer gathering that's going to start up next week. It's going to be Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. One of our campus pastors is going to be leading us in a time of prayer for our nation uh, and for our world and for those who are hurting. And man, if you want to be a part of that, uh, just watch our website, get on the app, and you can figure out how to connect with that. But today, uh, we're going to start a series of messages that we're calling The Elephant in the Room. Now, you know, it seems like in every family, every church, every business, there are things that we want to talk about and there are things that we need to talk about, but nobody actually talks about it. And so for the last few weeks, we've been asking you, what do you think is the elephant in the room? What would you like to hear us address and just see what the Bible says about that? And man, I'm so thankful for all of the folks who've actually you know, shared some ideas. We've gotten a lot of responses. Now, one of the categories of requests, you know, and I don't think this should surprise anybody in these days of global pandemic, one of the areas where people have asked the most questions is around the issue of death. Man, what will it be like for me to die? Uh, what is gonna happen to me when I die? Man, where will I go one minute after I die? And friends, you know, if you were to come to my city, Savannah, where I live, you would line up 100 people in downtown Savannah and just ask them those questions. You know what some of them would say? Poof, that's what happens when you die. Your little candle goes out. Your existence is done. You're dead like a dog. Game over, man. I'm telling you, I heard a foolish old man give a grieving kid that explanation on TV last week. But friends, I'm telling you, the most influential person who ever lived on this planet would disagree with that. In fact, he would say that theory is just illogical escapism. Man, that is a fairy tale ending to life. That is, that's an idea that people choose because it relieves them of any guilt about their wrongdoing. It, it relieves them of any sense of future accountability for their actions. And friends, let me tell you, it's convenient for a child molester to believe that death is just the end. Jesus said that wasn't reality though. I mean, it's convenient for a self-centered person, you know, who wants to accumulate as much as they can and enjoy themselves as much as they can and spend all of it on themselves, regardless of the impact it may have on other people. You know, it's convenient for them to not believe they'll ever have to face a moral audit of their lives and they'll never have to stand before a holy God and be accountable for their sins. That's a real convenient fable. But according to Jesus, it's just not true. Now, friends, the reason we just celebrated Easter is that when Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, 
He proved that physical death is not the end of life for any of us. Friends, at best, death is the end of the beginning of your existence. And so today, what I want to do is share with you what the New Testament says is going to happen one minute after you die. And if this is no concern to you at all, bro, you're living in denial. And I'm telling you, man, denial ain't just a river in Egypt. You know what I'm talking about? If on the other extreme, though, thinking about death terrifies you, well, it's either because you're uninformed or you're unprepared. Now, we've all heard crazy stories about this. Uh, you heard about the story uh, about the husband, you know, who drank too much and he, was a, he had a terrible marriage. He was a mean drunk, a lot of hard stuff was happening in that marriage. And so they're driving somewhere and he'd been drinking, wrecks the car. His wife is killed. She shows up at the gates of heaven. Peter just smiles at her and says, welcome home, darling. You know, Peter was from the South. Welcome home, darling. We're so glad you're here. We've got a home all prepared for you. He said, you just need to spell one word and then we just want, you are free to come in. And she's like, well, what word do I need to spell? And he said, just spell the word love. And she said, L-O-V-E. And Peter just welcomed her into heaven. It was awesome. And then they got to chatting out a little bit. And Peter said, look, I got some money to do. Would you mind watching this gate for me while I'm gone? And the woman was hesitant. She's like, I, I, man, I wouldn't know. That. He said, no, just do what I did with you. Just ask him that one question, spell that one word, and then you'll be good to go. Well, as soon as Peter's gone, her husband shows up. And she's like, dude, what are you doing here? And he said, well, you know, when, when you died, man, I thought about all that I put you through and, and I thought about how hard it was going to be to make it without you. And, and man, I was really repentant. I asked God to forgive me. And then I had a heart attack and I died. And she's like, okay, well, all you got to do is spell one word and you get to come in. He's like, what is it? She said, uh, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> you know? Now, friend, that's just an old dumb joke. That's not reality. All right. Now, the truth is, none of us are qualified to say what happens one minute after we die, according to our knowledge or our experience. But let me tell you, the most influential person who ever lived can. His name is Jesus. He knows the answer to that question because he is the only one who has died and come back to life to talk about it. And so, friends, that's why we're going to unpack a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. This is the only story in the Bible that I know of that discusses the emotions and the thoughts and the motivation of people after they've died. And so, friend, if you're insecure as a believer on this issue, this story should comfort you. It should give you confidence. And if you're unprepared, well, today is going to be an amazing opportunity for you. So, man, let's go to the story. Open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to start reading in verse 19. And if you don't have a Bible, I'll throw it up on the screen for you uh, so you can follow along as well. In verse 19 of Luke 16, Jesus starts this story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was just covered with sores. And then he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Well, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried. Now, friends, Jesus tells this story so that you know that one minute after you die, you should prepare to find yourself totally conscious. When you die, you will be totally conscious. In this parable, both the rich man and Lazarus immediately found themselves conscious in eternity. I mean, there was no delay in that. Verse 22 says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. He went to a place. Rich man also died and was buried. Man, when the physical bodies of these two men expired, they continued to exist conscious 
and recognizable as themselves in eternity. And let me tell you, there are lots of examples of this in the Bible. When Jesus was dying on the cross for our sins, a thief beside him came to faith and repented of his sin. Then he asked Jesus to be merciful to him. And Jesus saved him and told this guy, today you will be with me in paradise. Not someday, you know, not many years from now, today. No time delay, no, no jet lag, man. And let me tell you, that man died before Jesus rose from the dead. So he's kind of a special case but he illustrates the immediacy of our conscious arrival in heaven, in eternity at the moment of our death. So one minute after you die, you will be wide awake. You will be fully conscious of your environment. Now, interestingly, a Gallup poll reported that 78% of Americans believe in heaven and believe they got a pretty good chance of going there. And 60% believe in hell, but only 4% believe they got a pretty good chance of going to hell. But you know what the truth is? It doesn't matter what the polls say. And it doesn't really matter what you believe. The one person who has been there and back taught that we are more than just physical bodies and our life will not be over when we die. In fact, you may be more awake when you get to heaven than you are when you die on earth. Now, I'm sure you've heard stories of near-death experiences that some people have in hospitals. You know, I visited a lady who's a member of our church at St. Joseph Hospital in Savannah. Uh, she was in ICU. She's in terrible shape. Uh, when I went in to see her, she said, Cam, I've got the best news. And I was like, well, what is it? She said, Jesus came to visit me today. And I said, really? What did he say? And she said, he didn't say anything. He just stood at the foot of the bed right where you are now. And he comforted me and he left. But I am so excited about seeing him again. And I thought, Wow, wow. I have another friend who went to the same hospital, was in the same ICU. He was gravely ill and very close to dying. He told me that he had an out-of-the-body experience. He went to eternity, found himself standing before three people that I think were probably the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they told him, you are not welcome here not welcome. And it was a stunning experience for him. And by God's grace, and I think honestly, because so many people in our church were praying for him, man, he physically recovered. And friends, that man spiritually changed because of the glimpse of truth that he got in that hospital about eternity. Now, Dave Allgaier, who is the director of our regional campus, and I both uh, went to graduate school at Emmanuel School of Religion up in Johnson City, Tennessee. And we drove back up to the seminary a few years ago to, for the funeral of one of our favorite professors here. Now, I'm going to show you this guy's picture. This is Dr. Buford Bryant. He's the guy in the middle, kind of the C.S. Lewis looking guy. He's spoken at our church. This is my favorite professor in graduate school. Great, great, great New Testament scholar. Friends, let me tell you something. That man was hyper-rational, unemotional about the Bible. Not a touchy-feely guy. Very skeptical about anything that was subjective in nature. Ruthlessly intellectual. I mean, took two master's degrees from the University of Edinburgh at the same time. Got his doctorate at Yale. I mean, razor-sharp mind. But when he came to the end of his life, he went into a coma. But then he would be aroused from time to time and have these moments of lucidity. And he would describe to his family the things that he was seeing. He said in heaven 
and he would talk to his family about it and then just drift off again. And this happened several times. And the images that he described were so beautiful and so biblical. And I'm telling you, when I heard those stories, I was thinking, man, if it was anybody but Dr. Bryant, I might be a lot more skeptical. But the truth is, friends, stories like that really encourage me. But let me caution you about that. We don't build our faith on other people's experiences. We build our faith on the unchanging truth of God's word. And man, we're going to talk about that next week. You know, how do you hear from God? How do you make sure you're hearing the truth from God? But, but listen, when those experiences like that affirm what the Bible teaches, dude, that is a powerful reminder that we live in a real world that does not end when you die. Now, listen, friends, apparently the apostle Paul had an out-of-the-body experience that he writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verse 2, I know a man, he's talking about himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. Now, friends, the Jewish people believe that the first heaven was the earth's atmosphere. You know, where the birds fly and the planes fly and all that kind of stuff. The second atmosphere was space, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that we see out there, the creation, the cosmos. And then the third heaven they believe was beyond the created world and that's where God was, which by the way, is exactly the same understanding that Albert Einstein had about the cosmos. He believed that our cosmos had a beginning uh, and it was expanding at a decelerating rate and there's an end to it and there's a time when it will run out of gas and all that, but Einstein theorized there is an edge to the created world and people would ask him what's out beyond that and he's like, I don't, God, I guess. And that by the way is what the Bible teaches. Now in verse three, Paul said, I know a man, uh, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. And I was caught up to paradise and he heard inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell. Now there was a pastor by the name of uh, Dr. Herschel Hobbs and he was a respected pastor for like 50 years. And when his wife was dying of cancer, she asked him, Herschel, what's it gonna be like for me to die? And he said, you know, I couldn't fully answer that question, even for my wife. And so here's what I told her. I said, honey, I'm not sure exactly what that moment's gonna be like, but this I do know for sure. I will sit here and hold your hand on this side of heaven until Jesus takes your hand on the other side. And I think that's what the apostle Paul was trying to write about. You know, when he said in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, but we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So friends, the first thing that happens when we die is our arrival, fully conscious, in eternity. In addition to that though, Jesus teaches in this story in Luke 16, that we should prepare ourselves to be immediately evaluated and then deployed to some eternal location. Look at verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. He went to a place. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, another place where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, friends, when death comes, it's not good news for everybody. Man, when the rich man died, he went to Hades, what the Jews considered the abode of the dead. 
This is where people go when they die and have no faith in God, no personal relationship with Jesus. Friends, Hades, hell, you know, it's not some frat party where you and all your rowdy friends are going to be laughing and partying with the devil. Think solitary confinement. I'm telling you, man, I visited a Sandinista prison in Honduras one time where they tortured political prisoners. And that's what I think of when I think about hell, a place of no fellowship, no grace, no joy, no hope, a bleak place where you will be filled with regret. Now, friends, he didn't go to hell because he was rich. I mean, Lazarus went to Abraham's side. Abraham was one of the richest men in the Old Testament. That rich guy was assigned to hell because his self-centeredness led him to disregard God. I mean, consequently, his self-centeredness led him to disregard the suffering of Lazarus. I mean, right at the gate of his home, which, you know, is just kind of symptomatic of the narcissism that keeps us from ever taking God seriously. Now, friends, it's not much fun to preach about hell. I don't know any preacher who enjoys it. But let me tell you, truth tellers don't back away from it either. And I know that, you know, some folks have a hard time believing in hell. You know, I mentioned that Gallup poll earlier where 60% of Americans say they do believe in hell. Well, that means 40% don't. And when we talk about it, it makes them very uncomfortable or very skeptical. But listen, we have a responsibility to teach the whole counsel of God, whether it's comfortable or not. Friends, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And I think the reason for that is that Jesus loves people and he knows hell is real and he died on a cross so that nobody would ever have to go there. And let me tell you, our goal here at Compassion is to make our city the hardest place in America to go to hell from. Amen. I mean, that's our goal. Listen, hell wasn't even created for people. It was developed for the devil and his crew of spiritual rebels. But let me tell you, if you're a spiritual rebel and you just stiff arm God all the way through this life, that's the location you will find yourself in in eternity. Friends, Jesus said a lot about hell. And let me tell you what my rule is. When somebody dies and comes out right from the dead, whatever he says, dude, I'm with him. And so I would believe what Jesus said about hell if he only talked about it once. But there's like 54 references to hell in the New Testament that warn people. And people need to be warned. You know, there's a cardiologist in Chattanooga who wrote a book entitled Beyond Death's Door. And this doctor documented the story of a patient who had a cardiac arrest in his office and he had this near-death experience and it was a hell experience. It wasn't like some warm light drawing me up. No, 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 this was horrible. And man, they attempted to resuscitate this patient. Man, you know, he kept fading in and fading out. You know, and, and Dr. Rollins said when he would come to, he'd just be screaming, please save me, man, I'm in hell. And he'd just have this look of terror on it and then he would pass out again. And then they'd bring him back and he'd go, oh, please don't stop. Don't, don't give up on me, man. I'm in hell every time you stop. Don't let me go. And this went on and on and on. And I'm telling you, Rollins said the first moment that patient could put his faith in Jesus, he did. And I'm telling you, this rich man, and Jesus' story had the same opportunity that Lazarus did. But he went to hell because, here's what I think. I think his wealth and his comfort inflated his ego. And that led him to ignore God, ignore the warnings of God, the blessings of God, the people of God. And so he just lived the way he wanted to live. You know, C.S. Lewis, who is one of my favorite writers, wrote this book called The Great Divorce. And in The Great Divorce, he says, in the end... There will be two kinds of people. There will be those who said to God, your will be done. 
And then there will be those to whom God says, your will be done. And what Lewis is saying is, everybody that goes to hell will choose to do so. They'll choose it. I mean, you hear your friends sometimes say, I don't know how a loving God could send people to hell. Hey, listen, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. We choose that by ignoring him. I mean, friend, God sent his only son to die on a cross so nobody would have to go there. Jesus bled out on that cross and rose from the dead so that everybody could be saved from that place. Man, if anybody goes to hell, it will literally be over the dead body of Jesus. They will have to ignore and reject and step over the death and resurrection of Jesus to go there. And I'm telling you, man, if somebody goes to hell, it won't be because of what God has done. It will be in spite of all that God has done. Well, friends, the good news of this story is that this poor believer, this poor guy, sick, struggling with illness, but a believer, he's taken to Abraham's side. Now, Abraham's side is described in the New International Study Bible as a place of blessedness where the dead in Christ go to await future vindication. But in Jesus' story, he goes there immediately. Now, friends, Luke 16 rules out purgatory. No such thing as purgatory. There's nothing in the Bible that teaches that a believer has to go anywhere to be purged of their sin. Uh, Father Richard O'Brien, who's a professor at Notre Dame uh, University, professor of theology there wrote, there is for all practical purposes, no biblical basis for the doctrine of purgatory. He's right about that. Friends, Jesus paid for all our sins on the cross. It is impossible for us to pay for any of those ourselves. And God's not gonna make us pay double. Jesus already paid too high a price for that. Luke 16 also rules out any concept of reincarnation. Friends, there is nowhere in the Bible that there is even a hint that when you die, you know, your spirit is going to leave your body uh, and maybe show up later in a dog if you've been good or a cat if you've been really evil. I'm telling you, friends, that's just a hopeless concept that has no biblical or scientific justification at all. But here's the sequence of events that Jesus says you should expect one minute after you die. Here's number one, the awakening of your spirit in eternity. Friends, you will either awaken in paradise or in Hades. And let me tell you, in the last book of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis describes that waking up in paradise, waking up in heaven in the most beautiful way I have ever read. And I'm telling you, you owe it to yourself to read that children's book just to have that experience. Then we learn that your immediate appearance, you will make an immediate appearance in the presence of the Lord. You know, Paul wrote to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And man, it's just like when you hit the button on your radio that switches from AM to FM or FM to satellite radio and there's a whole new experience. Friends, I'm telling you, that's how it will be when you die. A more vivid, more amazing experience. Then if you're a believer, you should expect to participate in the return of Christ. Now, we studied this last summer in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul said, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, notice that word, fallen asleep. That's a Hebrew euphemism. We'll talk about that in a minute. But according to the Lord's own word, Paul said, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left on earth till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, like I said, sleep is a Hebrew euphemism that Paul uses for death. But man, if you die before the return of the Lord, 
I think you will participate in and help prepare for the second coming of Jesus. We also learn that you will have a new glorified body. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And then the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, Jesus said in John chapter five, man, don't be amazed at this for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Think about that. All will hear his voice. All will come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Dude, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of all who will rise from the dead. Every soul that has ever been conceived is an eternal soul. And I'm telling you, all of us are going to live for eternity. Jesus was the first. He was the example. He was the most important one. But think about what happened to Jesus after he died. Man, on the cross, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And man, they took his body down off the cross and buried it. But that did not stop his existence. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, that while Jesus' body was there, you know, from our perspective in the tomb, man, Jesus is busy declaring his victory over death and sin during those three days that his body was located there in that grave. And then after three days, his dead body was physically resurrected with these amazing new capacities. And so, man, when Jesus Christ returns, our bodies will be resurrected. And then they will be transformed into the kind of body that Jesus had after his resurrection. And if you want to know how that works, just read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul spends a whole chapter talking about it. You know, in, in the church that I grew up in uh, as a kid, you know, um, at Easter time, we would sing this old hymn about the resurrection. And there was a place in the, in the choir, all the women in the choir would sing, we'll have new bodies. And then the men would echo, praise the Lord which I always kind of thought was funny. We'll have new bodies. Yes, thank you, God. You know, anyway, think about it like this. Some of you live with physical pain in your body every day. In heaven, that's over. Pain-free, Advil-free, arthritis-free, no dentures, no counting fat grams, no cancer, no more. This means that people who are disabled will be made whole. People who are hungry and sick in our world will be made healthy. People who are suffering with mental illness, depression, despair will be healed of that. Our friends in wheelchairs will be made strong and walk and run and just enjoy life. They'll be transformed. Wholeness, health, strength, joy, incredible capacity, just like Jesus had after his resurrection. It's going to be amazing. Jesus also teaches you should anticipate the judgment. Judgment will be the next thing that happens. And this, this is the evaluation process. And let me tell you, both Christians and non-Christians will go through this evaluation. Non-Christians will go through what John writes about in the book of Revelation chapter 20, where he calls it the great white throne judgment. Now, this is what happened to the rich man in this story. He stood before God and realized everything he had ever done or not done was being noted and evaluated and now is the basis of his assignment to hell. Friends, while he was on earth, he gave God no respect, no time, no effort, no allegiance, no loyalty, no sacrifice, no love. And it's interesting in the story, he doesn't complain about where he is. Now he complains about the pain, but that's not like he has any sense of injustice 
Because let me tell you, in eternity, he has seen God. And he knows now that ignoring God was a critical mistake. And he knows he has no one to blame but himself. And friends, this is why Jesus describes hell as a place of the gnashing of teeth. You've done that, right? Ah, I can't believe I did that. And how many people take, ah, God reached out to me a thousand times. My neighbor invited me to church a hundred times. I knew better than this. I knew it. Christ followers, on the other hand, will have their life evaluated at what is called, <coughs> excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is where the quality of a believer's life is evaluated. And then he or she is rewarded or not based on the quality of the life they live. Excuse me a second. You know, the Bible says there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter eight, verse one. So hell is just not an issue. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to fear that at all. Where you go in eternity is determined by whether you genuinely put your faith and your trust in Jesus or not. Your deeds have no bearing on that. Friends, your good works do not determine your eternal location. However, they will determine your experience when you get there. Now, I like how Bob Russell described it. He says, you know, a ball team has an awards banquet at the end of the year to acknowledge outstanding players. And he imagines that God is going to honor people like the Apostle Paul, you know, who contributed and suffered so much more, you know, than a pastor like me in modern America who's got it so easy right now. And I mean, a godly husband who tenderly cares for his wife, who's got Alzheimer's for a decade, is going to be rewarded far more than a husband whose wife is healthy and he just takes her for granted. And listen, those who all their lives have generously and sacrificially given away 10, 15, 20 percent of their resources to the Lord's work are going to have far more treasures laid up in heaven than those who just gave God the leftovers. For example, our government is mailing out stimulus checks this week to help people in need. And thank God, right? I mean, like $1,000 per adult, 500 for kids. I mean, what other country in the world would even do something like that? But you know what this means? Sarah and I are going to get a check. And a tithe of our checks will be 200 bucks, which our church will receive from us and use to continue our ministry in these times when the world needs the church the most. And then, according to Jesus, one day I'm going to get to explain to God what I did with my check. That's mine to do with whatever I please. But I am also accountable to Jesus and I'm going to be evaluated. Now, I could say, well, Jesus, I gave a tithe, which, of course, would be the minimum expectation of any baby Christian. That's not what I want to say. What I want to say is, Lord, you taught me how to manage my money through your word. And you taught me to tithe and I did. And then you blessed that. So, man, I had savings when the coronavirus thing hit. I had some margin when the coronavirus thing hit. I didn't need that check. So I gave all of it to the church so that our church can continue to feed public school kids who are not getting fed at school these days. And we can provide groceries for elderly people who are having trouble getting out and about and poor people in our community, you know, who, who are in need. And listen, People in Rwanda who are more afraid of starving right now than they are of the coronavirus. Now, look at this picture. This, this is the night to shine. 
that our church sponsored for mentally and physically disabled people in Rwanda. And friends, it was amazing. <laughs> Since we sponsored that party, that, that celebration for those mentally and physically disabled folk, we have led 70 of those family members to put their faith in Jesus and they have all been baptized into Christ. And two days ago, we sent money to that ministry in Rwanda so that we can help care for those new believers who literally are starving to death because of your generosity and because of your desire to lay up treasure, not just here on earth, but in heaven as well. Now friends, we actually have a fund for that. And you know, if you designate money to the global outreach ministry, God will use that to help the poor here locally and globally. And then one day when you're standing before Jesus and he asks you what you did with that gift, you will have a noble story to tell. Let me just say this too. If you're a single mom, you know, if you're just getting started and things are super tight for you right now, and one day you stand before Jesus and say, thank God, a government sent me a check and I gave you a tithe, Lord, but I used all the rest to take care of my family. I didn't buy beer and cigarettes. I paid for groceries and rent. You know what I think Jesus will say? Way to go. <laughs> Way to go. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in just a few things. Dude, let me reward you with a lot of stuff. Now, friends, the praise and approval that you receive for Jesus one day will be based on your love for Christ and how that was demonstrated in your life. And so friends, when you die, you can expect to be fully conscious in eternity. You can expect to be evaluated and then deployed. And finally, I think you can expect to think and act differently. Friend, in this story, the rich man is thinking about spiritual opportunities he missed while he's in hell. He answered, said, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. I mean, isn't that fascinating? A few minutes after this guy dies, he is totally focused on spiritual things for the first time in his life. It's not about money now. It's about his family. I mean, five minutes in hell turns this non-believer into an evangelist. Dude, somebody got to go tell my brothers, hell is real. Real people go there. Somebody needs to warn them. Now, when he was alive on earth, dude, it was all about him. One minute after he dies, he is crystal clear on what matters the most. And it ain't money or real estate or portfolios or, or deals or toys. It's people. Now, whether or not they have a life-changing relationship with God. Listen, my buddy, who had that hard experience at St. Joseph ICU, dude, when he got better, he has told everybody he cares about his story because he knows eternal life is real. He knows God is real. He wants his friends to be ready. Dude, don't you know if that rich man could go back, he would do things differently? Man, I bet he would do business with God as soon as possible. I bet he would be compassionate with people around him who are suffering. I bet he would be you know, unashamed uh, in his spiritual convictions. And I believe he would share his belief in Jesus with the people he cared about the most. On the other hand, Lazarus, he's beginning to enjoy the eternal life that is only available through Jesus Christ. Abraham told the rich man, you know, Lazarus had a hard time on earth, but he's being comforted here. And some of you are living with chronic pain right now in heaven, no more. Some of you have lived most of your life with emotional pain and heartbreak every day. 
You know, the Bible says no more tears in heaven, man. Friends, we are not in the land of the living going to the land of the dying. Listen, we are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. So if you're anxious about death, I get that. It's an unknown. None of us look forward to that moment. But friends, peace will come if you are a follower of Jesus who learns to focus on what eternity holds for you in the future. And listen, man, if you struggle with long-term anxiety about you know, what's gonna happen one minute after I die, it's either because you're uninformed or unprepared. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm telling you the best days of your life are ahead of you. You have nothing to fear. And if you're unprepared, you could do something about that today on the chat right now. Acknowledge Jesus. Admit your need for him. Tell somebody you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins and welcome you into his family. And they will pray with you. And you can ask Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of your life. Friends, the good news is we don't need to fear death. We get to choose right now what will happen one minute after we die. Now, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this encouragement. Thank you, Lord, that death no longer has any power over those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that what is ahead of us is so much better than what's behind us or what we have right now. And I pray, God, that there will be people who have heard this message today who will stop now and ask someone to help them give their life to Christ. I pray, God, that they will find in Jesus forgiveness and acceptance and, Lord, inclusion in His family and hope of eternal life when they die. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus, Lord. Amen. You know, this is why uh, we gather. This is why we worship. This is why this is such a big deal. This is why we sacrifice and we reach out and we give because we know that our message has eternal significance. We know it matters. What happens today matters for eternity. That's why this is such a big deal to us. So as we close, I want to give you two questions to process, whether it's with the people there in your room or just for you to kind of process individually. But the first is this. Think about who is the closest person to you who has died? Have you ever, you know, had to walk through that experience of losing someone close to you? And the second question is this. How did your faith help in that time of grief? How did it help you walk through that or process that? Or for some of you, maybe you walked through that and you didn't have faith. And so you were trying to process, oh my goodness, if I had hope, it would have changed everything. Or maybe that's the experience that led you to faith. Whatever it is, we want to give you a chance to kind of process these questions. And just as a, as a final reminder, again, tomorrow night, we're doing our online prayer night together. And so we hope we'll get to see you there at 7 p.m. Have an awesome day.